If you have a copy of the Scriptures, I'm going to invite you to turn to the New Testament and to the Gospel of Luke and to the 5th chapter. Luke chapter 5 and verse 16. And this is uh, just a one-verse account here that gives us light into uh, what will be the topic of our message today, and that is the prayer life of the Lord Jesus Christ, looking at Luke 5 and verse 16. As you're able, let me invite you to stand in honor of the reading and hearing of God's Word. Luke uh, faithfully records this description of Christ. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Amen. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word and let's join in prayer. Gracious God, we do thank thee for the insights we have from the Gospels about Christ and the pattern of his life as we contemplate one of those patterns today. Help us to see, help us to be drawn, help us to imitate uh, the, the life of Christ. We ask this in his name and for his sake. Amen. And you may be seated. So this afternoon, we want to meditate upon and learn from uh, what we could call the prayer life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostles in the New Testament teach us that we should look to the model of Christ and that we should base our lives upon the life of Christ. Uh, Luke tells us in Acts eleven twenty six that the disciples were first called Christians, Christianoi, the Greek term, uh, in Antioch, a place called Antioch. And that term Christian, uh, some said, means little Christ. And it, they were named this because they were the followers of Christ and they were attempting to imitate Christ. Of course, they were saved by Christ's uh, sacrifice upon the cross and his glorious resurrection, but they were trying to live according to the teachings of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul told the believers in Corinth, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And sometimes we may not feel like we want to be a role model for anyone uh, but uh, the Apostle Paul said, follow me. And you might say, well, that seems like arrogance. But the Apostle Paul added to the follow me. It was follow me as I follow Christ. And so uh, Paul was following Christ. And then there were people who were looking to Paul and attempting to follow after him. The Apostle Peter taught those who were suffering for their faith to remember that they were only following in the way of Christ. In 1 Peter 2.21, he said, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. And so um, we should follow in the steps of Christ. If Christ is our example in suffering, and Peter goes on to talk about how Christ suffered, but he didn't revile in turn. If Christ is our model in suffering, he's also our model or example in piety, in the spiritual disciplines. And so Christ was, for example, we could call an archetype of the godly man of prayer. 
And so when we look at the life of Christ, one of the things, many things we learn is how to be a man of prayer. And so this afternoon, we want to look at the prayer life of Christ. And we began by uh, looking at and reading Luke 5, 16. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. And Luke provides us for this because this was typical of Christ. It was the pattern of his life to withdraw himself from time to time from the company of others and to give himself to times of communion with the Father in prayer. Christ, as a perfect man, I think, had a perfect personality. And we talk about ourselves sometimes if I'm an introvert or I'm, I'm an extrovert. Uh, but Christ was completely uh, satisfied in himself when he was alone with the Father in prayer just as uh, he was completely satisfied in himself when he was around men. And he would, he would be one who would give himself to men. He drew men to himself. Men were happy to be around him. But he also wasn't addicted to being around other men. There were times when he would withdraw and he needed time in prayer, in spent time in prayer, in communion with the Father. Uh, I think that that verse, Luke 5, 16, is even more striking when you look a little bit at it in the context of Luke chapter 5. It begins in Luke 5, 1, describing how people were pressing upon him to hear the word of God. And he stood by the lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee. And there were so many people that um, he got on a ship and preached to the people who were standing on the shore. He got on Peter's ship. And then after preaching to them, Uh, He told Peter to to go out further, to launch out further. And then uh, our Lord uh, performed the miracle that we sometimes call the great drought or the great catch of fish. It's not like drought, like not raining, but drought, D-R-A-U-G-H-T, the great gathering of fish. And when Peter saw this, he said in Luke uh, chapter 5 and verse 8 to Christ, depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. Um, Peter recognized the godliness of Christ and he recognized in comparison uh, his sinfulness. Uh, The result of that uh, great miracle was that Peter, along with James and John, were called to be fishers of men. And it says in Luke 5.11 that they forsook all and followed him. And so Christ had a kind of a spirituality about him that would draw men to himself. He would lead men to leave everything behind in order to be with him. And then tells us in Luke 5 that he went into a certain city and he healed a man who was full of leprosy. And the result of this was that multitudes came out to him. And we often read the Gospels how Christ was, was often thronged by great crowds. In Luke 5, 15, it says... But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. It was when Christ was most set upon by meeting the needs of others that he felt it most urgent to withdraw and to pray. And so, again, it's an interesting juxtaposition between verse 15 that was talking in Luke 5 about how many people are coming to Christ. 
out of their need and how in that moment Christ withdrew Himself into the wilderness and prayed. Hudson Taylor, the famed missionary, a pioneer missionary to inland China, once uh, said, do not be so busy with the work of Christ that you have no strength left for prayer. And the great Protestant reformer Martin Luther is said to have committed three hours each day to prayer. And he once said to his colleague Melanchthon, I must rise an hour early tomorrow, for given all that I need to do, I must spend more time in prayer. So for a few moments here, I'd like for us to see if we can track a little bit and learn a little bit from the prayer life of Christ, especially as it's presented to us in the Gospel of Luke. And so uh, if you've got your Bible, if you want to look at these passages, you can. If you just want to listen to me, read them, you can. But, you know, each one of our four Gospels in the New Testament is unique. Um, and they're both unique on one hand, but they're also consistent with the other Gospels. Each of the evangelists, as we call them, the Gospel writers, was led by the Spirit to emphasize different facets of the life and ministry of our Lord. And most who have read through the four Gospels agree that Luke, probably more than any other Gospel writer, gives us insights and emphasis to the prayer life of Christ. And so drawing upon some of the descriptions in Luke's Gospel, I want briefly to survey at least seven aspects of the prayer life of Christ. And so I want to begin first by noting that Christ prayed as the general pattern of his life, and he was a teacher of prayer. Christ prayed as a part of the general pattern of his life, and he was a teacher of prayer. And uh, to examine this, I want to look over in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, and this is uh, one of the best places that describes for us uh, Christ's role as a teacher of prayer. It starts off in verse 1, and it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And again, this is what Luke does more than any of the other Gospels. He describes the times when Christ was at prayer. So this was an occasion, when, another occasion where Christ is praying. And as he ends that time of prayer, his disciples are coming to him and saying, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. If you want to learn how to pray, you go to a man who prays. You wouldn't go to a prayerless man. And so this tells us that prayer was a general pattern of Christ's uh, life. And uh, we notice also, as we look at this um, teaching in Luke 11, that Christ then gives what we uh, call the Lord's Prayer. Now, Christ probably taught uh, various versions of the Lord's Prayer on many occasions. We're probably more familiar with the Lord's Prayer as it's recorded in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. Uh, that's the version that we typically read here on Lord's Day afternoons. But Christ probably taught 
again, different varieties of this prayer on different occasions. Every good teacher knows you, you reuse the material, right? And you alter it a little bit. And so there's sort of this version of the Lord's Prayer that he taught on this occasion. Look at Luke 11, verses 2 and 3. He said unto them, when ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so this was the teaching on prayer that Christ gave on this particular occasion. And then Christ gave uh, to those who wanted to learn how to pray an illustration. And he gives an illustration to teach the goodness of God in hearing our prayers. And so he, he, he tells this parable about a man uh, who went to his friend's house at midnight. And uh, he says to him in verse 5 of Luke 11, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And the man who was inside, the friend of this man, uh, speaks and says in verse 7, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. And then Christ said in verse 8, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And the point is that if a, a mere man, a stingy man, can be in his bed and not be willing to get up, but, he, but if a friend keeps knocking and saying, give me bread, if that stingy a uh, cold-hearted man will eventually get up out of bed and go to the door and answer the door and give to his friend what he asks. How much more will a good, loving God give to his children who ask of him? And so Christ tells us to motivate. Teach us how to pray. Christ seems to say, you will learn how to pray when you know a God who gives and who is generous Unto you. And so he follows that up in Luke 11, verse 9, by teaching, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And we know this teaching also from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, but again, Christ taught these, this teaching on prayer very often on many different occasions. He gives another illustration, Luke 11, verse 11. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? I think we're meant to smile at this. You don't have to be father of the year. You don't have to have a coffee mug that says world's greatest father to uh, know that if your son comes to you and asks for uh, bread, you don't give him a rock. And if, if he comes and asks of you for fish, you don't give him a snake. And if he asks for an egg, verse 12, you don't give him a scorpion. And then Christ censures the teaching by saying, verse 13, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Will he give the greatest gift, the gift of his Spirit, to those who ask and so, again, our first point is Christ was a man of prayer. He had a pattern of prayer. 
He was a teacher of prayer because he knew the goodness of the Father. Secondly, Christ prayed both privately and publicly or corporately. Christ prayed both privately and corporately. We've already seen a reference to his private prayer life in Luke 5, 16. And throughout the Gospels, we can see many places where we can hear the public prayers of our Lord. Think, for example, about in John 17, where Christ offered up what is called the high priestly prayer, where he prayed for himself, when he prayed for his disciples, and he prayed for future disciples who would hear the gospel through the apostles. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, Christ said, If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. And thereby Christ was stressing the importance of corporate prayer, common prayer alongside of private prayer. We might think of the feeding of the 5,000 as recorded in Luke chapter 9, when Christ took the five loaves and the two fishes. And Luke says there in verse 16 that looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the multitude. Here is a pattern of prayer at mealtimes set by the Lord, looking up into heaven, acknowledging God as the giver and seeking the Lord's blessing upon what he had provided for the sustenance of the multitude. There is power in both private prayer and in corporate prayer. When your gas tank in your car is running low, you need fuel. And you need to stop and refuel. And when your spirit is low, you need to stop and pray and refuel. We need private prayer. We need corporate prayer. Third, Christ prayed at the momentous turning points and times of great change in his life. Christ prayed at the momentous turning points, the momentous moments And times of great change in his life. And we see this especially in the Gospel of Luke. Again, driven by the Holy Spirit, he puts more emphasis, I think, than any other gospel in the prayer life of Christ. And again, Christ is often praying at these key moments. What was was one of the very first key moments? If you look at Luke chapter 3, it's when Christ was baptized. We're told in Luke 3.23, Christ was about 30 years of age when he began his public ministry. And uh, there's a description in the preceding verse in In verse 22, of the Holy Ghost descending upon him as a dove. But in verse 21, there's a description of the baptism. And it says in Luke 3, 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened. And that's a little detail that Matthew doesn't record. Mark doesn't record, but Luke records it. That... The opening of the heavens at the baptism of our Lord and the seeing of the, of the Spirit descend and hearing the voice came in the context of Christ being engaged in prayer. He was bathing the start of his public ministry in prayer. Another great turning point in the public ministry of our Lord was when he went up to the Mount of Transfiguration as it's recorded in Luke chapter 9. Just before this at Caesarea Philippi, Peter had confessed, uh, as it's recorded in Luke 9 and verse 20, that Christ, that Jesus is the Christ of God. 
And then Christ had prophesied that the Son of Man must suffer many things. And it was after this that Christ withdrew with a handful of his disciples for prayer on the mountain. And look, if you will, at Luke chapter 9 and verse 28. It says, And it came to pass about in eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. Praying when he was baptized. Praying on the Mount of Transfiguration. Then look at verse 29. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. One of my favorite KJV words. Let's renew the use of the word glistering. Uh, he, his garments became white and glistering. But you see, Christ was praying at his baptism. That's when he began his public ministry. Praying on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's a turning point because it's after this, as it says in Luke chapter 9 and verse 51, that he set his face to go toward Jerusalem. He's going towards the cross. So he prayed at important turning points in his life. Fourth of seven observations, Christ prayed often in spontaneous praise of the Father. We see an example of this in Luke chapter 10. In Luke 10, Christ had sent out the 70 disciples and then they administered in his name and then they came back. We're told in Luke 10, 17, that with joy they reported to Christ how even the devils were subject unto them in his name. And having heard this good news, Christ sort of breaks into a spontaneous prayer of praise. Look at Luke 10, verses 21 and 22. It says, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to me of my father and no man knoweth who the son is but the father and who the Father is but the Son, and He to whom the Son will reveal Him. There is a spontaneous prayer where Christ is rejoicing in the Spirit, rejoicing in the sovereignty of God, rejoicing in the fact that the Father has sent Him, rejoicing that, that He reveals to men who the Father is, and no one comes to the Father but by Him. Fifth, Christ prayed that the Father's will would be done. Christ prayed that the Father's will would be done. And we see this most clearly in Luke chapter 22 as Christ goes to Gethsemane. This is the night before, uh, or the night in which he was arrested and the day before he was put on the cross. And many of us are familiar with this. He went out to pray, went with some of his disciples and he withdrew from them. We're told in Luke 22 verse 41, he withdrew from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed. And what did he say to the father? Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. As a, as a man, did Christ want to undergo the, the tremendous suffering, the physical pain that would come in the scourging on the cross? As a man, no. So he, he prayed to the father, remove this cup from me if you are willing. But then he added, nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. And so what we see in Christ is perfect submission 
to the will of the Father. And then the the Father answered that in verse 43. uh, An angel appeared from heaven strengthening him. And we see the true humanity of Christ also here in verse 44. As it says, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat as it were he, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. It doesn't say he, he, that he, 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 his sweat was bloody. It said that, it said that his sweat was so um, collected that it was like great drops of blood. And so this is intense, intense prayer and intense submission to the will of God. Sixth of seven observations on Christ's prayer life. Notice that Christ prayed for his enemies. Christ prayed for his enemies. And let's look over at Luke chapter 23. I've noted before, I think when we were looking at the passion narrative in Matthew's gospel, I compared some things with Luke's gospel. And I made the observation that actually Luke's gospel has a very brief account of the crucifixion of Christ. Probably the briefest of all the gospels. And, but one thing that Luke did, led by the Holy Spirit, again, as he was sensitive to recording the prayer life of Christ, he has him praying when he's baptized, praying on the Mount of Transfiguration, praying in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying on the cross. Christ has a prayer meeting on the cross. And the description that we have here is of Christ's crucifixion beginning with him being in prayer, and we'll see ending with him in prayer. But it's the beginning prayer from the cross is the one that shows him praying for his enemies. Look at Luke 23, verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And what this tells us is that the Lord Jesus was not a hypocrite. He practiced what he preached. He told his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount that they were to love their enemies and they were to pray for those which did despitefully use them and persecute them. You can see that teaching in Matthew 5, 44. And when he went to the cross, he practiced what he preached. On the cross, he showed his love for his enemies. He prayed for those who were despitefully using him, persecuting him, and even crucifying him. Seventh, Christ prayed, committing himself to the care of the Father. If the cross begins with a prayer, it ends with a prayer. Look at Luke 23, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Every good prayer meeting begins with a prayer and ends with a prayer. And Christ's cross work was his prayer meeting. And so there on the cross, he cites the words from Psalm 31, verse 5. No one knew the scriptures better than our Lord. And we learn something about prayer here. One way you can pray is simply to pray the scriptures. Pray the Psalms. Read through them. Take the words of the psalmist as your own words. And so that's what Christ did. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. So friends, we've, we've looked briefly, certainly not exhaustively, primarily from the Gospel of Luke, at the pattern of Christ's prayer life. And so what are we left to do? Well, 
we're left to be exhorted to follow Christ in the spiritual pattern that he has set for us. To follow in his steps. And the first thing that we are meant to do is let, let us make prayer the general pattern of our lives. It's interesting, something I didn't stress probably enough in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, is the the mention here of the necessity of uh, uh, constant prayer. Actually, it's a passage I didn't get a chance to read. If you look, look over in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, it's a further teaching on prayer. When Christ taught the prayer about the widow who kept knocking on the door of the unjust judge, another parable that Christ told about how if, a, if an unjust judge will answer a poor widow, how much more will God the Father answer uh, the saint who appeals to him? But in Luke uh, 18 verse 1, Luke says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Men ought, ought always to pray. But I prayed and prayed and prayed about this matter, and I haven't gotten an answer. What's, what's, what are we supposed to do? Keep praying. Pray always. Pray perseveringly through particular problems. And I think also this is related to when it says pray always. It's what Paul said in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Pray without ceasing. Pray always. Secondly, let us pray both privately and publicly. This means we need to have private times of prayer. And we also need to attend prayer meetings. And when we're at prayer meetings, we need to pray publicly. For some of us, this is a cross that we must bear. We don't like to hear our own voices. Sometimes we feel embarrassed. We don't know what to say. But if we're going to be followers of Christ, then we have to learn to pray publicly. There have been many men who have not felt comfortable praying, don't like hearing the sound of their own voice. Probably sometimes they're convicted. They, they feel like, you know, I, I, I feel like I've, I've not done enough. I'm not good enough. I haven't achieved some measure of success in the Christian life. But our, our prayers are not measured by that. It's our, it's our speech before God. And we don't pray because we are righteous enough to pray. We pray because we are needy enough to pray. And so it's good for us to, to pray privately, also corporately. Let us also, as Christ did, pray in the momentous times of our life. Pray during the momentous times of our life, the important time, the important turning points, as Christ did at his baptism and at his transfiguration, even at his arrest and at his being on the cross. Let us, let us especially in those momentous times in our life, be urgent to pray. Maybe when we get a new job, uh, when we get married. Uh, when we lose a parent, when we uh, make a transition in life, when we're given a new responsibility in church, uh, let us uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Let us also give spontaneous praise to the Father as Christ did. Let us pray for God's will to be done. 
Maybe you're going through a difficulty. Maybe you need to take up the prayer of Christ. Not my will be done, but thine. Sixthly, let us also pray for our enemies. That's maybe the most difficult challenge, isn't it? But do you have persons that you feel like are your enemies? People you feel have wronged you? Or people you have wronged? And uh, we have the model of Christ in Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Are you regularly praying for your enemies? And then finally... If we're to follow the prayer life of Christ, let us commit our lives fully into the Lord's hands. Let us pray Psalm 31, 5, as Christ did. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. I commend my life into thy hands. Let us even be prepared to pray that in the day of our death, as Christ did. Are you worried about whether or not you're going to be able to finish well this life? Are you, are you worried as to whether or not you would be able to persevere unto the end? Do you think it would be possible on the day of your death that you would be praying, Father, I place all things into your hands. You gave me everything I have. And I'm giving, oh God, back the life I owe unto thee. I'm commending my spirit now into thy hands awaiting the resurrection. Probably the best indicator as to whether you're able to pray that then is whether you're able to pray now. Are you praying now like that? Well, if you're able to pray now, perhaps God will give you the grace to be able to pray then like that. The time to learn is now. The time is now to enter into the school of Christ and to learn from him. And so let us find occasions to withdraw and to pray. Amen? Let me invite you to stand together. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give thee thanks for the example of Christ a model for us in so many ways. And we know that by saying we want to follow after Christ, we want to follow in steps, we have no pretenses that we can perfectly do that, that we, could, that we could ever perfectly mirror the life of Christ. And yet we know His example is there, has been given to us, and help us to learn from it. Help us to grow in the faith. Help us uh, not to compare ourselves with others. Uh, but to take a measure, a sober measurement of ourselves and the light of Christ. And so teach us among so many other things to how to develop the spiritual disciplines and teach us how to pray. Let us, if, if it's beginning with reading the Psalms and taking those words and making them our own, help us to do that, help us to be diligent about it. We ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.